Grief Stories is not a crisis resource. Please seek support from a qualified professional in your area to meet your unique emotional and medical needs. You are listening to the Grief Stories podcast. I'm your host, Maureen Pollard, a social worker with an interest in helping people find hope and healing when someone they love has died. In each episode, you'll hear a real person sharing their story of loss and the insights they have gained that help them on their journey with grief. At Grief Stories, we're helping grief make sense one story at a time. This episode is part of a series of conversations that challenge common myths and misconceptions around grief. Welcome to the Grief Stories podcast. My guest today is Judy Campion. Judy's a retired nurse with experience in end-of-life care from both sides of the bed as a professional nurse and as a family member who is standing by and supporting someone at the end of their life. And so we're going to talk today about the myth that people can become addicted to pain medication at the end of life. Welcome to the Grief Stories podcast, Judy. Thank you for inviting me. Well, thanks for coming on. I think that, you know, talking about um, myths that are out there and then sharing some information about the reality of the experience is so important in helping people understand sometimes their choices as it comes to end-of-life care. So when you think about your work as a nurse and when you think about your experience as a family member in end-of-life care, what feels really important to you to share with people about using medication for pain management and palliative care? I think for both from personal experience and from observing family members coping with uh, a, a loved one who's dying is that pain medication can be very valuable, especially for the patient or the person that's actually dying because they're likely in pain. And, you know, the number one goal um, for those kind of meds is um, symptom management. So you want, you want your loved one, you want to talk to your loved one and, and you want to think that they are aware of you, but at the same time you want to see them comfortable. And it, that's a very hard thing when you get um, some of these stronger um, analgesics, narcotic analgesics, that type of thing, and some family members kind of get upset because the person seems to be really out of it um, and mm. not their normal self. So it, it, is, it is hard to watch both from, like, as, as, a, as a family member, it's hard to watch someone suffer. But at the same time, you want as much time as you possibly can get with them. And so you're kind of, you know, you're back and forth in your mind a lot, an awful lot about that. And it, it can cause um, some grief for some people. Right. And then as a healthcare provider, my job as, a, as the healthcare provider was to ensure the patient who was pa- um, in the process of, of passing was as comfortable as possible. And even though in a palliative care you're trying to encompass everybody's wishes, sometimes you have to prioritize. And for me, the priority always was the patient. Right. So it's this idea that people want their their person to be comfortable, but they also uh, want their person to be alert if possible and present in those last moments when they're trying to be with them and 
sort of soak up every last bit of their time together. And that can be such a challenge in terms of prioritizing needs. Family members' needs and the patient's needs can be quite different when it comes to medication around pain management and, and the ways that the medication acts on a person at the end of life in terms of the sedation and, and not having them be as alert. Yeah, mm-hmm. and, it, and it's so understandable from a family member's point of view. You want that time. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, and it's so understandable. Yeah, and I think that's definitely something that is so important to think about is that priority of the patient is what you were talking about with regard to making sure the patient's comfortable. And certainly in some of my experiences at the bedside myself with family members who are at end of life, you know, when we began the process, uh, so both my father and my father-in-law were in hospital over Uh, just over a period of a week, seven days for my dad and nine days for my father-in-law. And in the beginning of that process, there was a hesitation to use the fully prescribed doses of pain management medication. And both my father and my father-in-law were in some obvious distress and what seemed like discomfort. They were were tense um, and seemed to be some struggle. And when the dose of pain medication was increased, that tension and and distress in them, in both of them, eased. You know, their muscles relaxed, their facial expressions relaxed. They seemed more peaceful and comfortable. And so they were less present with us, but they were also more at ease. Is that something that you, in your experience as a professional, as a family member, is that something that you've also witnessed at your time bedside? Yes. um, For me, my mother wasn't present near her end. She was not really responsive to us. Um, she seemed to be only responsive to discomfort. So in mom's case, I was only too happy for the nurses to come in and, can you give her something now? Can you give her something now? Because she seemed to be in some sort of distress, but unable to you know, tell us what it was. She wasn't really answering us or you know, we were holding her hand, but there was no response. And so for me as her daughter, that hurt to see that that discomfort in her, and I wanted her to be comfortable. And the nurses were fabulous. As soon as it was made abundantly clear this was a palliation care at this point, they did everything to make mom comfortable. They took out her IV. They... Um, let us stay with mom. Now, this was Uh pre-COVID, but they were very, you know, if if they came in, they'd say, how's mom? And I'd say, well, she's kind of been moaning a bit. Okay, we'll get her something. And out the door, they'd go and they'd be back in a flash. And that was, you know, I'm I'm glad of that. My other experience was with my brother-in-law several years ago. He was at home. He had nursing care at home. Um, and he had, he was very, it was very different with him. He was um, awake quite a bit, not, all, not always aware or able to communicate because he had brain cancer. And so he had lost a lot of his speech. But, um, you know, we want, like his family, like his sisters and, and his wife, wanted him to be as alert as he possibly could. But at the same time, he was experiencing a lot of pain. 
so there was that fine balance for him that I noticed there was some tension amongst my sister-in-laws about how how much pain medication should he really be getting. Maybe they're overdosing him. Maybe they're giving him too much. But, uh, yeah, so it, it was tough to watch that. And, mm-hmm. and, you know. and I think... What our stories, both yours and mine, sort of really uh, impress upon me is how very important it is for the medical professionals giving care uh, and the family members who are supporting that care and present and witnessing the care for the open communication to be uh, at the top of the list, right? So that there's explanations for family members about the the benefits of of medication for pain management and the and the drawbacks and that the medical professionals really hear clearly what's the family's priority um, as they're balancing that with the patient's priorities. Exactly, and that was one of the wonderful things about both my mom's situation and my brother-in-law's situation several years ago. Um, in both cases, the nursing staff, the doctors. Um, various people that were in contact with us would explain exactly what the different medications did because it's not just pain medication. There's also medication that helps dry up secretions so they can breathe better. (laughs) Um, There's muscle relaxants to help with tension. Um, And, of course, the narcotic analgesic, many people are familiar with morphine. (laughs) Morphine also slows down the breathing response a little bit. And sometimes that's a good thing, especially if somebody is really, you know, really tense and and squirming a lot. Their their breathing gets more rapid and more ineffective. So it slows it down a bit. And that's very helpful, and it eases that breathing so it doesn't seem like they're gasping for air anymore or, you know, they're in discomfort because we're moving that person. Mm-hmm. And, uh, yeah, like it, it, it really is important for people to understand what the different medications do. And I think now, as opposed to 30 years ago when I first started nursing, there's a huge difference in the amount of information that's shared by healthcare providers. Yeah, you know? well, they, they perhaps know more themselves about some of the options and how they work, especially if you're in a, a, a palliative care unit or in a hospice setting. Um, oh, yeah. Right. That's it gets a little bit trickier when you're on a, another kind of unit, which happens sometimes because of bed availability. But that access to information is really uh, at the top of the list in terms of what people need to know, what medication does what job, how is it going to ease their their family member or the person that they're caring about at the end of life and making informed decisions like that uh, is so much easier when there's enough information. Exactly, exactly. And no question is a dumb question. The support people, family members, always always feel feel confident asking a question to your healthcare providers or whether it's the nurse, the doctor, a social worker, um, um, possibly even a volunteer that's a support person in some way, depending on the setting. Um, these people are there to help you and your family, your loved one. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, like always ask, like there's no dumb questions ever. Yeah. So I think, you know, if we want to summarize our conversation about pain medication, we're saying that there isn't a risk of addiction at end of life because the medication's being delivered for the pain and the life is not going to be prolonged 
and impacted by any kind of addiction issue. We can take the worry about addiction off the table because that's a long-term problem and you're dealing with a relatively short-term situation at end-of-life care. And whatever medication is being used, family members and friends should know that they should ask all the questions they can about what's the medication, what does it do, what are the options for easing my person's pain? What are the options for bringing them comfort in these end days and the end hours of their life? And for medical professionals to know that more information for families is better in terms of making informed choices and being able to support the priority of patient comfort and care. I love I love the fact that we have really grown in the field of palliation and palliative care. Um, it it the difference in 30 years ago, 40 years ago, and today's standards are just absolutely amazing. They really have come on su- such a long way. Yeah, and it's meaning that there's more opportunity for a good death, a good um, end of life in the best way that we can offer it to people when we know that it's coming. We know that it's almost here. Well, thank you very much for joining our podcast to share this information with our listeners uh, so that they can hopefully be a little bit more informed about their options if they're anticipating losing someone that they love, or even if they're reflecting on the ways that pain medication was used at the end of their loved one's life, that they have some, some understanding of some of those decisions that were made by the care team. Um, if they didn't have enough information, then this information maybe will help them have some un- new understanding now. So thank you for joining us. Well, thank you for having me. Thank you for listening to the Grief Stories podcast. I'm your host, Maureen Pollard. Please remember that grief is universal, but every person's experience of grief is unique. While our interviews are intended to help listeners feel validation and reassurance, we know that this story might be different from your own. Please visit our website, griefstories.org, for more stories of hope and healing.